0: so fast
1: We have to stop them, Batman.
0: Whatever they are, they're going to regret stepping foot in Gotham. This is our big score, gentlemen. It's the bat. Fire! Fire! Do I look like a friggin' bat to you? Huh?
1: I've read rumors about a supernatural bat creature in Gotham, but I assumed it was an urban legend.
0: Ninja Turtles.
1: We came to Gotham to stop Shredder and the Foot Clan.
0: The man who'll help us destroy this city is right behind this door.
2: <laughs> oh, come on!
0: Robin. Girl, these inmates were the deadliest criminals in all of Gotham. (laughs) Let's move. It's time for this city to destroy itself. Take them down. We need answers. You're welcome to try.
1: (laughs) Think fast. He thought too fast.
0: We're not your enemy. This is still my city. They're ready for a fight. We bring them a freaking fight. You are no match for me. Let's end this.
2: Shama people, and welcome to our 200th, yes 200th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime, Keith Bliss. Hey Keith, how are you today? Oh,
0: you know me. I can't complain. I'm trying not to melt out here in 110 degree weather on the East Coast. So I'm in here chilling out with you two.
2: Oh, that's fantastic. And, you know, I don't know about you, Keith, but I think it's insane that we've already done 200 of these. This boggles my mind. And it's funny that we have the Ninja Turtles, which is a cartoon that
0: Greg and I grew up on way back when in the 90s.
2: Exactly. For this, for this 200th episode, which I think is actually- Exactly. And we didn't
0: do this on purpose, which is amazing.
2: (laughs) I I, I totally agree. And speaking actually of Greg, joining us today is returning co-host, guest co-host, Greg Vorob. Hey, Greg, how are you? And welcome back.
1: Well, it's great being here. Thank you so much. Hello, Nick. Hello, Keith. And, uh, you know, I was going to congratulate you very soon because I knew- You were approaching your 200th episode, but I didn't in a million years think I would be on it. And this is great. I'm so honored, honored to be here. I've never gotten to discuss anything uh, turtle related with you guys. So I'm happy to be doing that. But I'm so happy to be here on your milestone 200th episode. Congratulations.
2: Well, thank you very much, sir. We're very, very happy to to have you with us today because today, folks, yes, indeed, we are discussing Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It is a thing, believe you me, from 2019. This was directed by Jake Castorena. The film was written by Mary Halpin Grazer. And of course, this was based on the homonymous six issue comic book miniseries by James Tinian IV and Freddie Williams II, while the score was written by Greg and Keith's fellow New Jersey native, Kevin Ripple, or Riple. I am not sure of the pronunciation of that one. But anyways, moving on to a general impressions, Greg, what are your general thoughts on this movie?
1: Well, I, I, I was aware of the comic book's existence. Uh, what I will say uh, off the bat is that it, it's, it's two franchises that pretty much go together i mean it's not like that simpsons joke nuts and gum i mean the batman and the and the ninja turtles that it's it's really um they they they're very well it's a very well explainable and ease into getting them uh, and to you know to meet each other it isn't very aptly named this isn't really teenage mutant batman versus the ninja turtles versus batman meets the ninja turtles um, and yes, they meet uh, under circumstances that do make a lot of sense. I mean, that's not forced in the story. Um, I know the comic books was six issues. Uh, it appears to me, since this was made in 2019, and now 20, 2023, we haven't gotten any more of these in film form. And while, and I understand this because while I enjoyed it, and uh, at times it's it's very amusing, but then it just kind of oddly goes to dark and then it goes to amusing and then it goes to dark and then it goes to amusing, you know, um, it's a very watchable film, Um, but it kind of just exists. It's kind of just a film that you watch to me. It didn't really, for me, it doesn't have a wow factor or a grabs you factor to make you thirsty, if you will, for more, which kind of explains is that this time we have not gotten more incarnations of Batman and the Ninja Turtles. Um, overall, I'd say that it's, it's... See, this is the thing. It's a little odd at times because at times it's cute and funny and whimsical. And then at other times, it's, you know, like the first Ninja Turtles movie. It, it kind of has... I, I do like... Um, they made reference at least once to one of the Ninja Turtles movies from back in the 90s. Um, I, I know that. It, it sort of is oddly executed. That's a great way that I could put it. It, It's enjoyable. It's fun at times, but just kind of oddly executed. The the pacing's a little off. And uh, it's a film that I enjoyed watching, but don't necessarily ever have to watch again.
2: fair. And uh, Keith, what did you make of this one?
0: So I I have to agree with Greg and go with the, it has very odd pacing. There are times when it jumps around where you have the dark and the gritty and then almost the campy, bad batman 66 kind of mentality with them um all in all i get it it's geared toward more of a a younger demographic if you read the comic books it is a little more gritty but all in all it's a fun watch i appreciate what they did and like greg said it's a very easy transition to see turtles and batman opposed to say like batman and thundercats at least hypothetically you can see the dotted line between these two
2: I think that's definitely a fair point. I mean, because I, funnily enough, I was, I knew that the comics existed, but I never actually got to read them. And so when I sat down to watch this, I was always almost asking myself, what kind of route is Castorena and his writers going to go? Are they going to go with the, the Batman that we know and love, the more gloom and doom and more dark kind of Batman? And are we going to pair that up with the early incarnation of the Turtles, which were also. Dark, very dark and very gritty because the comic books the turtle Ninja turtle comic books folks are very different from the animated version of the turtles that we got later down the line those were much more whimsical much more up- upbeat and much more geared towards a younger audience whilst the comics were much more brutal and much more violent if you will compared to what we then got and it seems like from what I, what I saw, immediately when I saw Batman in his blue costume with his, his uh, kind of pants hanging out, I thought to myself, yeah, this is going to be more a dark comedy, if you will, which is kind of the way I think they played it. Because seeing the, the, the way the turtles interact and the way Batman is excessively dark, almost reminding me of the version of Lego Batman, where he is, you know, he very much plays on the fact of being so dark and so gritty, you know, with a commanding voice and I don't have friends and all this kind of thing. I don't like pizza. And so it seems that more that kind of Batman compared to it almost seems to be be a parody of of the, should we say, the today's Batman that we know or that we see in most movies where he is more of a dark loner in this case yeah so that's what we got and the contrast with the turtles i would admit that sometimes some jokes did not land particularly well with me and i found myself rolling my eyes when it came to certain situations i'm like did you really say that or did you really go there but by and large i did find this very entertaining to the point where when we got our post credit scene i kind of found myself saying Mm, I actually wouldn't mind seeing a sequel after that post-credit scene because it could go in so many different ways. So that said, I think it brings a good story. There are some cringy parts to this movie, especially when it comes, I think it's meant to be that way because you literally have Batman dealing with these teenagers, because a lot of folks almost forget that we are literally dealing with teenagers except they're turtles. So you almost have that kind of relationship of, you know, the old the, the parent herding around these young kids and everything that ensues with that. So I did get that dynamic. I will say that sometimes I did find it incredibly annoying. And I guess that might have that was probably the objective was to make you feel that the turtles were annoying because they're teenagers. And, you know, we've all been teenagers and we know that we can be incredibly annoying around adults. So I appreciated that. I like the story. I think by and large, Castorena did was able to balance the darker, more grittier elements with the more comedic ones to where it didn't seem like, everything, like things were too off-kilter. But at the same time, yeah, there were moments, especially in certain fight sequences, which I thought, yeah, maybe you went a little bit too over the board with that. But other than that, yeah, definitely a, definitely a pleasant watch for sure. So <clears throat> let's start off by looking at our characters on the board, starting with our Bat family. We have Troy Baker playing Bruce Wayne Batman and also the Joker, Ben Giroux as uh, Damian Wayne Robin, and Rachel Bloom as Barbara Gordon Batgirl. So, uh, Keith, looking at our Bat-trio, what did you make of them? I
0: I liked it. I I liked, you know, Batman. I've always liked him as the voice actor for a Batman type of character. Barbara Gordon was good enough i feel like she was just kind of there to help move the story along like she happened to be at wayne Industries doing a book report or a news report or something when the foot attacks and then she's with donatello later on in the movie helping him figure out the mutagen or the ooze Uh, and uh, so it just she seemed like she was there just enough to kind of keep the story moving and the same thing with damien damien is like this really gritty badass character and he seemed very much like a typical robin and what i mean by that he's very like campy makes these like cheesy line kind of comebacks at the end when he and michelangelo are behind um one of the walls he's like rematch rematch and they jump over like two little kids you know horsing around kind of stuff so the demeanors were a little off but again i i get it to an extent because they do want to keep it more lighthearted and geared toward the younger and i'm with you there were lines that batman said and other characters in here that i groaned or i rolled my eyes at some of the things just i'm like Ugh, he really said that or she really said that or whatever the case may be so i you know by and large for the type of movie and the writing that we were looking at they were perfectly like middle of the road they didn't go too dark too often they didn't go too campy you know batman did his gritty like i am batman blah 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 and then the other two were just kind of like there to you know almost like comedy relief
2: and uh and uh, greg what did you make of our trio uh i
1: don't have much to deviate from that i, I feel like barbara and uh this incarnation of robin I, there are so many robins i don't which robin is this damian who is damian Damien is it. his
0: son. Damien is the son of Batman okay. and Ra's Al Ghul's daughter, and he is grandson to the Demon's head. Which oh, okay, really very good.
1: Right, right. So I, I'm familiar with that storyline from uh, The Dark Knight Rises. Ra's exactly. Al Ghul's daughter. Okay, all right. Mm-hmm. So, all right. So that being said, great. Okay. Um. Yeah, they were kind of there to allow Batman to take to the turtles a little bit better. It shows that he's dealt with young people before. So he'll take to the turtles. It also makes the turtles a little bit more comfortable that he's got his teenagers, so to speak, to deal with as well. Yeah. uh, Troy Baker, a very good voice actor for both Batman and the Joker. I felt like he was giving an homage, a very nice homage to Conroy and Hamill there with no apologies to it. Like a very, well-crafted uh, performance to honor them. And he wasn't copying. He was he was making it real. It, it wasn't a carbon copy, but it was a nice, this is there, Batman and Joker. And I appreciated that. I, I appreciated that that's what he brought to the table. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that this was a typical Batman. It wasn't um, a horrendous, cringeworthy Batman. Um, again, you know, this film drastically uh, i'm gonna say that the the pacing in this film is flawed and that it drastically goes from farce to dark and gritty batman and ninja turtles to make me wonder who's it for and i realize i'm getting more back into general impressions but if i were to talk about batman and the batman they gave us again as you said he's making wisecracks like a lot of batman going oh i'm dealing with these teenagers to next there's blood, and he's you know, he's bashing somebody's skull in, you know. Um, I'm probably paraphrasing a description there, but uh yeah, it's 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 a very oddly it doesn't know who it's for. It doesn't know if it's for the young Ninja Turtles um a crowd, the young adult Batman crowd, or us adults who like Batman the Animated Series, or you know, my personal favorite Batman animated film, The Dark Knight Returns. So um, y- y- you know, it doesn't really make up its mind here, but admirable on all ends for the characters, for those three
2: admirable. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a, that's a very good way to describe it because, uh, I, I definitely kind of very much felt that Troy was bringing that, that Kevin Conroy vibe when it came to this particular Batman, especially with the way with his voice and just a commanding voice that. Kevin had when it came to voicing Batman and you very much get that here. And to your point, Greg, it's true, because there were moments when you're like, who am I too old to be watching this? Or, you know, if I put a kid in front of this, will this be too much for them? And because right at the beginning of the movie, I was I was really getting into it, especially when Batman first meets the turtles, when he's he's like kind of bring it on and he, he not he beats all four of them by himself. And I was like, yes, this is really cool. You know, Batman showing off his skills and he's kicking the turtle's butts. I mean, as much as I love the turtles, I was kind of more team Batman when the two were fighting each other, because like this is one guy and he's taking on four ninja turtles. So it was I really appreciate that. And I like that because that's the kind of guy Batman is just to kind of like yeah, bring it on and show me what you got and stuff. And and the moves also I think the way the fights were choreographed were pretty cool as well to where Batman seems to be barely breaking a sweat when the turtles come at him and then you know he kind of almost becomes a mentor especially to Leonardo because him and Leonardo seem to share a lot in common and he's kind of giving him some pointers like if you had fought me this way you probably would have had me beaten and so there is that and I did like that once again that you did then get the various characters airing off with the turtles you had like Michelangelo with Alfred for quite a bit you had a uh, uh, Robin with Raphael because the two of them are rather similar in character because they have that rebellious nature. So they did find some common ground, and that fact of you know wanting to have this fight constantly. And Barbara, I will just say, what is your problem with calling it ooze? I mean, the fact that she's like ooze, ooh, thats disgusting. I'm like, she didn't—they didn't say excrement or feces for crying out loud, but she really seemed like. Like she really, it really, really bothered her, and I get that teenagers can be a little bit, you know, have that ick thing about them with certain words. But it, there, it seemed a little bit excessive the way Barbara kept going on and correcting the turtles and calling it mutagen and not ooze because she didn't like the word. But other than that, I think she she did a good job. I mean, I, I like the character and I like this version of the Bat Family. But yeah, when when the 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 more comedic stuff happened, I did find myself chuckling in certain situations. But in others, I'm like, okay. Bring it back, bring it back. This is a little bit too much. So that's that's just the way I felt. Had it made, maintained that one tone, where you had the characters that were clearly darker and the ones that were more light hearted, it might have made for a better movie. Rather than everybody's being comedic now, Batman's enjoying pizza, and you know, and you see both um, Barbara and damien eating pizza and getting the sauce all over their faces like their kids. It seemed a bit much because it's like, okay, I get it. They're they're rubbing the turtles are rubbing off on the Bat family. I get it. But it just seemed eh, just a little bit too much of a transformation. And then just Batman giving um Damien like a slice of pizza. I mean, I'm like, okay. So what he starves them the rest of the time? Or oh, I get I just get that they have to be in perfect shape so they can't have junk food. I don't know. But <laughs> other than that, it, it they, they they made some good characters but for the most part, anyway. Uh, So, guys, did you have anything else you wanted to add on this trio before we move on? Yes, I did.
1: I think you're pointing out Barbara's thing with saying ooze is indicative of the flaw of this film, of not keeping a specific tone through the whole thing, and I think that example in particular is a joke that didn't land, and the writers are trying to kind of, like, make it funny when it's not. I mean, I get that, okay, she's the teenage girl Ooze, I don't want to call it. It is mutagen. It's sort of this running gag of her correcting the proper terminology. I just think it's a joke that didn't land.
2: I think that's very much the case. And And it's aware
1: of that. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, Keith, did you have anything else you wanted to add?
0: (laughs) No, I'm with you and Greg. The ooze one definitely got old kind of fast. It was like, ew, it's sort sort of like how people don't like to say the word moist or damp or some other random word that you're just like, what's wrong with the word moist? And like, people like, I don't like moist. you know, like, it's a thing. It's actually like what this feels like. So the fact that she just had this, like, mind you, she's done all this crazy stuff, seen all this weird stuff. And then that's where she turns into like a little kid again is ooze. And I'm like, all right, she has no problem running over a dude with a motorcycle. That's fine. But ooze makes her squirm. Like, all right, whatever.
2: I guess we all have our idiosyncrasies, I suppose. I guess I guess that's Barbara's. So I guess if you're ever dating Barbara folks, don't say who's. I guess that's yeah, all you can say. Stay with news. Exactly. Good, good point. So I guess then moving on, let's get to our heroes in the half shell. We, of course, have Eric Bowser as Leonardo, Darren Chris as Raphael, Baron Vaughn as Donatello, and Kyle Mooney as Michelangelo. So, Greg, starting with you, I know that you were quite a fan of the Turtles growing up and such. So what do you make of this version of our Turtles?
1: Well, I, I, they're the Nickelodeon Turtles, not the Playmates Turtles. I believe it was Playmates that they did the toy line, and I think they were involved with producing that show as well. Uh, the old 80s, 90s uh, TV show. I mean, um, they were the turtles i think if the in the narrative because as you know i always love to go into these other universes i've said it billions of times that i love going into these superhero stories of explain to me these characters as if i didn't know them and what i'll say about this particular film this film you I, i mean it doesn't really accomplish that this seemed very much like this is and again that's just me. I know that some people don't look for that aspect. I do. And this is OK. Whatever incarnation of the turtles that these are, this is an episode of their adventures. I believe like the Batman, just the way it came across to me is that the Batman characters were all special guests in this. And I'm, I think when we get into villains, I'll say why I just felt that way. Um, spoiler alert, it had something to do with Shredder. But the, the turtles here, I mean, uh, I know that uh, a lot of people's problems with more modern turtle incarnations. I haven't seen the Bay films. Um, I know these are the Nickelodeon turtles. Uh, it, it's, they have the personalities that I grew up with. All four of them have the personalities. But they're, they're pulled back in such a way where the people that accuse the turtles uh, in present day of being interchangeable in this movie, they are. Uh, While we do see Leonardo uh, be the leader, Donatello be the, uh, you know, the genius, Michelangelo, the party guy, and Raphael, the rebel. um, You certainly see it, but it's almost like the writers have to say, oh, let's make sure we show that at least once. Some have it more than others. Leonardo had the most, I mean, Michelangelo. How could you? You can't really mess up Michelangelo. Shout out to Kyle Mooney of Saturday Night Live fame for doing a great Michelangelo. Um, I think Donatello and Raphael were. I mean, Michelangelo to me, it's like a a, a no brainer character. You can't really go wrong with. He loves pizza. He likes partying. He's there. Um, but the Leonardo, uh, um, Donatello, and Raphael were like, let's just make sure we show who they are. Here and there, and they did. Raphael didn't seem to really have many lines in this film, um, and Leonardo, I think, got the most um, story in this one, which is fine. I mean, I'm not, I'm not really complaining, but at the same time, they are hashtag not my turtles. Um, that was kind of a joke, but you know, their personalities were indicated rather than present.
2: And uh, Keith, what did you make of our Turtles?
0: Um, They were okay. They were very generic. I will disagree with Greg about uh, Michelangelo. I think it was more the writing than the the voice actor. He seemed very, I I don't know, like if you could make somebody dumber, he seemed dumber than normal. Usually he's more of the chilled laid back. And I've watched the Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles before. And even comparing this, these turtles to them, they're totally different. I would have actually rathered they had used the Nickelodeon Ninja Turtles in terms of art style and personalities because they were a little more pronounced. Raphael was angry all of the time. Here, he just seemed a little disgruntled. Mm. Michelangelo was, you know, being Michelangelo doing the skateboarding down the railing and destroying Wayne Manor and him being dumb enough not to realize that Bruce Wayne was batman which was i did chuckle a little bit because that's always the running joke um some of the other stuff they did really focus on leonardo a lot and it seemed a little weird that when the big battle finally took place when it came to fighting shredder and Roz, batman's like i'll fight shredder meanwhile that's normally the turtles villain and it would have seemed a little more of a better matchup opposed to like all the other crazy shit that happened because the turtles fought raz al ghul so like certain story choices kind of i I get it they had to do to make the story continue on because otherwise it'd be a really short battle if they fought the people they were going to fight but i mean otherwise they seem like teenage kids out on an adventure you know and dad doesn't know they've left kind of scenario
2: yeah, I mean, that, that that's fair enough, because, I mean, I I, you, I guess you do wonder what Splinter will have to say. And I believe they actually mentioned the fact that I think Splinter doesn't even know they're gone. So right. I guess, you know, when they get back, they're probably having some explaining to do. Granted, I, I'm i not sure how many days this this story takes place in. I mean, it looks like it might be a couple of days at most. I'd say days. maybe a long weekend. Yeah, two or three days. That's the impression I got because we did get a couple of, you know, uh, sunrise sunset kind of situations. So I think it did take place over a couple of days, but other than that, uh, I think, yeah, you know, to Greg's point, even the, uh, I think we do for the most part, see the main traits that each turtle is defined by. I mean, no surprise. As I mentioned before you have Leonardo gravitating the most towards Batman as a possible mentor where, you know, where everybody else is doing their thing. Him and him and Batman are literally sparring. Because Leonardo, I guess, is the lead and always been one who's very much about the fight and wanting to always hone his skills. I, I suppose also was very much taken aback by how good Batman is at fighting. And so it's like, you know, can you can you teach me some stuff? And and so we get that kind of mental mentee situation, which is also often a common thing between Leonardo and Splinter. Leonardo t- t- tends to be the one who spends the most time either meditating with Splinter or training with him. So I did appreciate that. I thought that was cool. Raphael, as I mentioned before, I, Raphael gravitating towards somebody like Damien. I can see why, because they're both hotheads and they're both rebels. And no surprise, they initially they get on each other's nerves a lot because Damien is like, What the hell are you guys doing in my dad's cave? Get the hell out. And so he has his whole moment. And uh, I mean, I would have expected him to be to have gone more of the deadly Damien Wayne route because this guy was literally trained by the League of Assassins. So you think he would have had, you know, a bit of a more of a fight when it came to taking on the Turtles. Granted, we'd seen them beaten by Batman and maybe you didn't want to see them beaten by Robin as well. But knowing Damien's training, he's gone up against uh, fo- you know, fo- foes who are way deadlier than these characters and who will literally kill you if you lose. So there was that kind of, should we say that that, that, that was a little bit of a head scratcher for me. Donatello, yeah, he pretty much plays, as we mentioned before, the uh the, the nerdier of the group and kind of more of the fanboy as well, because he, along with Michelangelo, is, about, is a constantly thing of, this is so cool. This is so amazing. And Batman is Bruce Wayne. That's insane. And I get it. Once again, they are teenagers. So the geeking out factor has gone up to 11 because they're teenagers and they're finding out these amazing secrets. But up until that moment, I guess they did not even know who the hell Batman was. Until they actually meet him that in the alley in the time they, they're fighting each other, but and yeah, and I guess they knew about Bruce Wayne because obviously he's uh, you know the millionaire. But other than that, the fact they're geeking out so much, I'm like, okay, I get it, but you know, kind of chill, chill out a little bit, guys. Other than that, they they were fun. Michelangelo, I would, I kind of felt like Alfred in the sense that he was kind of dr- doing my head in, I just like my just like Alfred who has to deal with Michelangelo constantly. And I get the contrast because Alfred is all prim and proper. And Michelangelo is the uber crazy party guy. So you're going to put them together and going to have this kind of weird couple thing going on. But I really felt just like Alfred. I'm like, this kid is so annoying. Get him away from here. I just really don't, you know, can't deal with him. And Alfred, you are more of a patient guy than I am. I suppose having to raise Bruce Wayne, you kind of have to be. So, and having Damien in the house, I suppose as well, but, there were moments where I did find him incredibly annoying, but as I mentioned before, they were they were more fun than they were annoying. So I think that's a good thing. So uh, anything else on our turtles, guys, before we move to our
0: villains? Can we just mention how the fact that Donatello managed to figure out where the hell Batman's Batcave was, and he left <laughs> the door unlocked again, because that seems to be the running joke of every superhero, everything is who has home security when you're Batman or superman or whoever anybody else with some weird you know cave or fortress of something
2: yeah there is that i mean they just made it through the sewers i get it literally they're, just uh, walks like, right in yeah they're like swimming through the sewers and uh, and off they go but uh, that, that's a good point no, no as, we make, bloop, 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 bloop. as we mentioned multiple times on this podcast i suppose keifer lairs and secret uh, places are always you know are, are literally the floor of our heroes Worst home security ever. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly. Uh, Greg, did you have anything else you wanted to add? I'm good. Okie dokie. So I guess then uh, let's get to the dark side of the table, gentlemen. We have uh, quite a few villains. We have actually Batman's Rogues Gallery, now turned mutants. We have the aforementioned Troy Baker as Joker. Tara Strong as Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy. And she also plays the pizza delivery girl and a random woman. So uh, I hope that Tara got paid quite a bit for this movie. John DiMaggio plays Mr. Freeze. Carlos Alazraki plays Bane. Keith Ferguson plays Two-Face. And he also plays Dr. Baxter Stockman. So a lot of folks are doing, putting double duty, if not quadruple duty, when it came to uh, Tara Strong's case. So Keith, but when it came to these villains, which one, should we say, stood out for you the most? And uh, even when it came to like, the transformation, the mutant stuff, which one did you enjoy the most? Um, weirdly enough, I think
0: Harley and the Joker, the main, um, main mutated villains, stood out the most just because Joker turns into a snake with, I guess, his characteristic is him being slithering and a bit of a slime ball and whatnot. Harley Quinn was a, I'm going to say a jackal. Is that a, a good assessment? She turned into a hyena or a jackal. Or something. Yeah,
2: I, yeah. Cause it's something dog related. Yes. Right.
0: So they amplified their characteristics. And I, I thought considering the interpretation of their characteristics, they did a really good job. The one that got my head scratching was uh, Victor freeze. Considering he is encased in a suit and everything like that. And this ooze has to get on you and in your system. I don't understand how he transformed But I guess, you know, that hand wavy, like, oh, well, they were exposed kind of stuff. So, otherwise, it was very interesting to see their interpretations of the characters. And even when they transformed, they really leaned into it. Like Joker, Harley Quinn, Freeze, Bane turned into uh, a panther of some type or some type of wild cat, which, again, exemplified their characteristics. So, I think they did a really good job mutating their personality traits so i enjoyed it the fight seemed a little kind of like we need something to do with them so let's bring them into the story this way i feel like that chunk of the story could have literally been cut out and you would have still had the same type of progression because without that all it did was slow them down they would have gotten to the fight shredder and the hand and uh, the league of assassins a little bit sooner not much but a little bit It was more so just to prove her mutagen or anti-mutagen worked and mutate Batman into some sort of weird, crazy bat-monster-freak-hybrid thingamajiggy that lasted all of 30 seconds.
2: Yeah, I guess we got his take on Man-Bat, I suppose. It was a weird version of Man-Bat.
0: Thankfully, (laughs) his helmet, his uh, face mask didn't get shredded because we wouldn't want Batman to lose his secret identity.
2: Oh, heaven forfend. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, that's uh, um, it's true. I, I did think it was uh, it was interesting to see everybody turn into the, these various animal characters and such. I mean, there were quite a few. I you know, didn't really get developed enough, but, you know, uh, I think it would be more a case of which one we kind of like the most. And Greg, when it came to you, what did you make of our of the rogues gallery?
1: Um, a lot of what he said, I agree with. Uh, what I will say is, yeah, that Batman turning into the man bat thing was the pitch meeting super easy barely an inconvenience part of the film in 100%. which he's turned into this yeah which he's turned into this thing but for no reason they, they could have done it without it yeah all right so first let me give a, a kudos where kudos belongs I was hysterical I actually laughed out loud of making Baxter Stopman, Stopman have the cadence of Jeff goblum brilliant brilliant um, and I loved that but a character none of those characters, except for Shredder Raja Ghoul and the Joker, um and I guess Harley, because that's you know Joker's concubine here, um really were needed it, 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 I get that they were showing their personalities um uh, about what they would be if they mutated, but they stop the movie dead, and as Keith said, it doesn't move the story along it doesn't it doesn't pull it forward, it doesn't give us anything new and it doesn't give us we anything we wouldn't have had if those characters weren't there. Um, I enjoyed, um, uh, I, I mean, I, I enjoyed the Joker and Raj and Shredder. These are the antagonists. I'm going to give my opinion and say Shredder was the main antagonist here because for what they showed at the end in the after credit scene and that uh, Shredder is, is mad with power here. And this is what gave me the indication earlier when i said yeah this is sort of like the turtles meet batman and that batman is the special guest of this turtles uh incarnation because we knew these turtles these turtles existed before in the nickelodeon universe of of the turtles whereas this batman and and this gotham is something new they gave us i mean granted it's dc who commissioned this and granted you know it it just kind of chose like they said uh, damian wayne it shows the Batman that we got, whereas this was a regular uh, uh incarnation of the Turtles. So for me, Shredder was your main antagonist with Raja Ghul and Joker as the contributors of his plot. Of course, Joker, which I love because Joker is the Batman villain. If you ask me, he's got the rogues gallery. They're all great in their own way. There's nothing like the the joker and batman's interactions and they just, just I, I just love joker stories and this did that for me this yes the rogues gallery was there but who's the one we're going to visit to really screw things up the joker and uh i love that he he was blissfully the joker when he turned himself into a big cobra and uh i love that yes Raja ghoul um goes to is the one who's teaming up with shredder and when shredder asks him who's the one that we're going to get to raise the stakes gets the joker perfect perfect and perfect but we didn't need all those other people they could have just been there in the cages like they are in other batman films as you just walk to whoever the main antagonist is we're gonna we're gonna meet in that particular film uh like in the batman and you or, or they're just passing names like here's jervis tetch you know here's everyone um They could have done it that way. They chose to do it this way to, you know, I I think they just kind of chose to do it that way so that the movie would be an hour and a half. They needed to fill an hour and a half here. So they did that, but they got to the Joker. There he is. Troy Baker does a great job. Um, Raja Gul and the Joker is who, though, contributes to who I feel is the main antagonist here and the one who's really driving this evil plot, Shredder, which I actually felt was very interesting for them to do. Like, good job on them. It's like you would feel um, that Joker and Raj, you know, that one of the Batman villains would be the one. Um, But it was a nice choice and not the obvious. They didn't go with the obvious for me on making the Shredder the one who was really the uh, the main antagonist here.
2: Oh, very true. I mean, I will say, yes, it was interesting to see – I guess all the various rogues, what they might look like if they were mutated and, you know, to Keith's point, it very much uh, exacerbates, you know, and and, uh, exaggerates the traits of each of the various villains. But there were moments where I get it, you're doing comedy, but at the same time, it it really kind of fell flat. Case in point, when the turtles and Batgirl take on Poison Ivy, where all they have to do is literally, you know, stick to the wall and just walk across the wall and walk out of the room. And I thought that was just, no. I mean, I can see why some folks might find it funny, and it, made me, it reminded me of actually a um, moment in the, the original Resident Evil game where you had this one monster you had to fight, and they couldn't get to the side of the room. So all you had to do was keep your back to the to the wall and just shoot them from there because they couldn't attack you, but you could. So it, it reminded me of that kind of scenario. But... I just thought it was like, come on, this is a waste of a Poison Ivy. of like, oh, I can't reach the door. I'm like, no, man, no, that that doesn't work. I'm sorry. I mean, as much as Tara Strong did a great job playing Poison Ivy, the voice was was spot on. I just did not like how they dealt with that particular villain. I can see Mr. Freeze turning into a polar bear. And it was kind of hilarious seeing a polar bear with a freeze gun walking around. I I, I can see that, you know, it, was, it did have its moment chuckle value, I suppose. And even the others. Well, by and large, this is the one that kind of stood out for me the most, aside from Joker and Harley, was Two-Face. I really liked the design of Two-Face Mutated. Because it actually, you know, if you took it into a maybe even a darker realm, it would, could really be scary and could really be creepy. So I think it, if Two-Face was a little bit wasted when it came to, to that particular situation because just the mutation, the artwork for that was really, really inspired, I found. And yeah, Joker is fabulous. I mean, of course, he's going to turn into a cobra, you know, because it's all to him. It's also all about the Joker venom. He's slithery, he's slimy, and that's and and that's that's what he does and what he is. And Troy Baker, yeah, I, I could definitely hear the Mark Hamill homage in the way he voiced the Joker, and so I definitely appreciated that. But yeah, you could have almost this could almost have been a separate story. And I agree with you, Greg. I think the the Rogues Gallery were more here to just add out to the movie. I mean, they say it themselves, they, they served as a distraction for, for, so that Shredder and Raz could carry on with their plan and do their thing. So I guess, yes, they were kind of filler and kind of a distraction. It's a shame because uh, Batman has probably the best Rose Gallery in, comic book, in the comic book world, but they probably could have done a better job with them. So uh, guys, anything uh, else you want to add on this, on the particular rogues Gallery before we do get to talk about more of our main villains?
0: No, the rogues are pretty kind of side story, you know, B story type material in this go around. They just needed Joker for his formula.
2: Oh, yeah, of course. That's right. Uh, Greg, do you have anything else you want to add?
1: I think I jumped ahead. It seemed that I jumped ahead and I already really talked about the characters we're about to talk about.
2: All right. Well, I mean, in case <laughs> you have anything else you want to add, of course, you're welcome to do so. So I guess let's get to our two main bosses and our one terrible henchman. We have the aforementioned Keith Ferguson as Doctor Baxter Stockman, Andrew Kashino as the Shredder, and Cass Andar as, Rash, or as Ras or Ras Al Ghul. So, Keith, starting with you, what did you make of our main bosses and their terrible, terrible help?
0: <laughs> I would have actually appreciated if, like Baxter Stockman, was like the mastermind of all of this. That would have been amazing. But clearly, he's an idiot, and you know he just does what ha- has to be done. Um. I'm really kind of torn because Shredder is very much the Bane character, like in Dark Knight Rises, where you think he's the big bad, but it's just all misdirection. And you're like, oh, it's really Roz pulling the strings again to try to destroy Gotham again. So it it was kind of a tired trope at this point, but I did appreciate the after credit scene where he falls into the pit of the ooze and he turns into essentially a jokerized shredder and i would love to have seen that in a movie because that would be a very interesting take on because you like when they made the batman who laughs you made the shredder who laughs and he barely has any restraint as it is as a shredder now you make him completely insane like the joker and you know nobody's safe so i would have actually liked to have seen where this had gone on to um In terms of everything else, it just seemed like, eh, it was good enough writing.
2: I would say so. And that's why I mentioned I would love that if we got a sequel, because I would just like to see where they could go with the Shredder Who Laughs, because uh, it would definitely be uh, be an interesting take, seeing as one, he's an incredible accomplished martial artist. And secondly, he's completely insane at this point. So you could the possibilities of using this character are infinite. So if you get, I think, a a good writer and a good director and and do actually a a follow up to the Shredder going completely nuts and being more of a Joker, I think could definitely make for a great, great story. And uh, Greg, I know you did touch up on our main villains earlier, but did you have anything else to add on them? And what did you make of the Jokerized Shredder? Or was Keith very well put it, the Shredder who laughs?
1: Yeah, I think that Raja Ghoul and Shredder and the Joker were perfect choices to be the main villains
2: just, I, I really
1: must give credit where credit is due. They made some great choices here in this story, and that was one of them. I, if you want to talk about point of view? I really felt like it was Shredder was the villain here. I really did. Is uh, I kind of felt like he used Raja Ghul as a means to an end. They both used the Joker for what he needed to do. Um, but yeah, it, I don't know how popular this. Where I'm going to end it is, I don't know how popular this film is or was at the time and it they certainly were setting up for a sequel here i guess if you read the comics maybe they followed up with that maybe this was a part one and that that was a part two i don't know i I, i'm speculating but yes because they made the stakes much higher at the end and it was like ah they're setting up for something here and they were but i don't think there is a sequel of this to my knowledge so (laughs) i'd like to see that and and that for me was the big indication of who the big bad guy was here. And now we're going to get this hybrid of the Joker and, and Shredder. I'd love to see that if ever they can put it in. It might be in a comic book though. I'll have to take a look.
2: I believe it actually is because, um, is. And more on, and yeah, there you go. And Keith will confirm that. But, and uh, more about that actually, when we get to our uh, happiness, not the fan mail, because it actually is mentioned in that uh, when it came to, to me personally, yes, I also did catch, like you said, Greg, that baxter stockman was very much a jeff goldblum character and uh, it was yeah, wonderful was, yeah. yeah and and yeah. keith ferguson i think did a great job voicing him and giving him that kind of style to to the backstop like am i really the villain why am, why am i the the victim here and that i yeah. thought was very clever that that we had that thing of he's almost quite he's one obviously he he he's very much unappreciated he's kind of just You know, the janitor in this situation where where it comes between these two, these other two characters. And he doesn't really doesn't really get much to do. And he's also feeling incredibly unappreciated. And that's why he constantly goes on the thing of, am I the victim or the villain here as well? Because I don't really get what I'm doing here. And even when he's confronted by Batman and the Turtles, he literally just curls up into a ball and just gives up. So, and I believe he actually just throws up. It's like, okay, I'm done. I'm out. So <laughs> that's Baxter Stockman. I did think that it was a very, it was a clever choice to have the Shredder and Ras Al team up because they are rather similar in their own way in the sense, obviously, they both, the Shredder has the Foot Clan. Ross Al has the League of Assassins. So it makes sense that these two would be a possible team up. And, you know, they have the, the whole concept of exchanging the fact that Ross wants to uh, promise Shredder to give him the secret to the Lazarus pit. So Shredder can live forever and Shredder will help Raz accomplish his constant goal of wanting to destroy Gotham. And in this case, literally turn everybody into mutants and have the city tear itself apart. So that very much works. Um, Yeah, so I I didn't think they were the the better part of the movie. I did not know that Shredder knew these amazing moves in martial arts that could be so deadly to both himself and to others, which I thought was a cool addition because I'd never seen that before in either the um, the Nickelodeon stuff or in other versions of Shredder where he was able to master these incredible moves uh, from the martial arts, which uh, I thought was rather cool, which we got to see against Batman. It's a shame he didn't try to use it again because you only saw it the once. But other than that, it definitely made him, for, made him a formidable villain out of him. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious about the Shredder who laughs. I really would like to see more of him. I think it was a great, great post credit scene as I mentioned before. It's like, I really, really want to see the, the the sequel. I want to see where this goes. So I think everybody played their part accordingly and uh, were good choices. The only thing I did not like was, uh, I believe it was uh, Shred... No, it was Wu uh, being kicked in the nuts. That I did not like. I'm like, what? that? Yeah, is it was that? kind of cheesy. Yeah, I mean, like, that really kind of was a little bit juvenile, I've, I found. Right. He's
0: yeah, like, that's I that's have the, hundreds yeah. of years of fighting and blah, 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 and gets kicked in the jimmy. I'm like, really? That's where we go with this. All right.
1: That's the running problem, if you will, with this film the the pacing and the execution and the bad jokes that just don't always necessarily land or fit.
2: That's exactly not true because because up until that point, it actually actually been some decent fights. But when that when we get the, you know, the try, the over overly done kicking the nuts, because what you know, if you don't know what to do, just kick them in the junk and you and you and you're good to go right like, no, that really you went there. I'm sorry. I, I can't follow you on that one. But that aside, it was it was the other than that. I think the villains were, were well done. Our main villains, anyway. So, anything else you guys would like to t- um, add when it comes to the movie as a whole before we get to ratings?
0: No, I think I we covered everything.
2: Righty, Greg, do you have anything else you want to say? Nope. Okie dokie. Well, I guess then uh, getting to ratings. Then Keith, what do you give this movie out of ten? I'm definitely, I'm on the fence on this one. I,
0: I'm not I'm not going to sandbag it like, you know, you guys always give me crap for about, you know, giving like a four or something silly, but I think I'm going to have to give it a seven seven 7.5. The story was okay at best, but the drawing, the artwork, the voice actors, everything else kind of just did just enough to push the needle. So I'm going to go with a 7.5, something I'd watch. Not necessarily would watch again, but I've done it. Chuck it off my bucket list.
2: There you go. Exactly. That's another one. Uh, another notch in your belt when it comes to superhero movies. And uh, Greg, what do you give this one?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it a six. I'm going to say it was, you know, it doesn't it, it's just as Keith said, it hits notes where it needs to, I guess. And I can't give it any higher than a six, but I also can't fail it. I can't, I, it has to get a passing grade. I will give it a passing grade, but it doesn't go higher than a six.
2: Well, at least it won't have to repeat the year and it can move on to the next, to the next class. That's good. Um, You're correct. I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of in between the two of you. I'm actually going to give this a seven. As there were, the, should we say I enjoyed 70% of this movie and 30% I thought was a little bit guff and garbage. So I think that's definitely a positive thing because the cons, I think, to bring to life a concept like this, which seems incredibly outlandish. And we've seen so many of these crossovers before in so many different genres from uh, Freddy versus Jason to Alien versus Predator to all sorts. And most of them have not worked. Looking at you, Alien versus Predator, only good as a video game, horrible as a movie. So... This one, I think of the many kind of crossovers that we've had of the most unlikely kind of crossovers is probably the one that works the best out of most that I've seen. And yes, it is cheesy. Yes, it can be a little bit ridiculous. And yes, it can be a little bit cringy. But by and large, it's, it's very entertaining. I mean, a movie doesn't necessarily have to be incredibly, as I often say, doesn't have to be incredibly profound or doesn't have to necessarily move you. One of its main jobs is to entertain you, and this movie definitely entertained me. I had a big smile on my face by the end of it. I'm like, oh my god, that post credit scene was awesome! I want some more. So, so good job, uh, Castore. And I think you definitely, you definitely were able to stick the landing for the most part. So then, let's get to recommendations. Greg, did you have anything you'd like to recommend to our listeners who might have got some enjoyment out of this movie? A
1: question first, Keith. Didn't there wasn't there comic books of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles working with the Ghostbusters? I think there Um, was.
0: There was, but I don't know if that that was like back in the nineties. So okay, that 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 was around when the prior to Nickelodeon. Or so I don't know how well I
1: asked. Yeah, because uh, Nick, I think you hit the nail on the head in terms of why I passed this and why it was enjoyable. Is because we've gotten so many crossovers. You mentioned Freddy vs. Jason. You know, these crossovers that you feel like, so if I am finishing up thoughts on this movie, I am. Um, Crossovers that you think uh, should work but don't, like Alien vs. Predator and Freddy vs. Jason, even the Jetsons meet the Flintstones, this did, for all intents and purposes, accomplish what they wanted to accomplish in a very clever way. Um, The writers did a great job on that. So I will say that. Recommendations, yes. Yes. The voice actor of Michelangelo, Kyle Mooney, and and a regular voice actor of the Joker, Mark Hamill, star in a very interesting, weird, being John Malkovich-like film, Brigsby Bear. Check that out. That's a very underrated film that is getting a lot of uh, cult following there. And uh, Kyle Mooney wrote and stars in this Saturday Night Live's Kyle Mooney and Michelangelo's Kyle Mooney, um, and uh, co-starring Mark Hamill, uh, doing what he does best—doing uh, uh, he he plays the main protagonist's father as well as voices characters in this film. So check out that film, Briggsby Bear. It's a it's an interesting
2: watch. I will definitely seek that one out once we are done here for sure. And Keith, what would you like to recommend?
0: I would definitely have um, our listeners check out the comic books of this Batman Ninja turtle crossover. Cause they did two different stories and they definitely flushed out the stories a lot more. They cut out a lot of the uh, backstory and the fat as we, you know, like to call it from this movie to keep it like a very slim 90 minutes. So if you enjoyed this, especially the mutated um, villains, go ahead, check that out. It's, it's a different art style so if you, it, it can be jarring i will say that because when i first picked it up i was like this is weird but i read it anyway because it had intrigued me because it's batman and the turtles to the quintessential characters i grew up with or groups of characters i grew up with so i had to go check that out and the uh, turtles and ghostbusters which i had to google because i couldn't remember came out in 2014 greg so it was the Nickelodeon error. But even then, it seems like it could be an interesting read for the TMNT IDW fans.
1: Very well, very well.
2: Exactly. Well, I agree. Well, speaking of crossovers that worked and in comic book form, folks, I would suggest if you enjoyed this, you check out He-Man slash Thundercats as that is one of the best comic book crossovers I have seen in a long time. Once again, seems rather outlandish. Seems like it might not work but it is so so good it was a mini series which came out via dc and if you guys want to see how the masters of the universe pair up against our with our thundercats you you will definitely be in for a surprise i don't want to give away too much what i'm going to say is that it is a fabulous story the artwork is insanely good and it's paired with an equally great story so check out he-man slash thundercats so uh Let's get to Happiness and Darkness fan mail. We actually have an email from our loyal loyal listener, Aaron Case, who weighs in with his thoughts on today's movie with the subject line, this is not the time for pizza. I totally don't (laughs) understand that sentence. So uh, again, Aaron writes in, hello, DJ Nick and Keith. And I will add Greg. I love Batman versus Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a variety of reasons. First, Batman has always been my favorite superhero and the character I've read the most comics of. Second, I grew up watching the Ninja Turtles movies almost on repeat, to the point that I wore out the VHS tapes. But the biggest reason, I wasn't in a great place in my life when the movie came out, and in desperate need of comedies. That's when I saw Batman vs. TMNT and bought it on the spot. It was one of the movies that gave me the biggest laughs during a time in which I needed them. I didn't know about the source comics at the time, so I got to go in with a fresh view and loved every moment of it. The dynamic of pairing Leo, Ralph, and Donnie with their mirror of Batman, Robin, and Batgirl makes some good interactions, but having Mikey and Alfred linked made for some of the funniest dialogue exchanges. Since watching, I have read the trilogy of comics, so there is a trilogy out there, folks, which I enjoyed, but I just adored the way the story was brought to life. Thanks for the great podcast and take care, Erin. Well, thank you for that lovely email there, Erin. And I can definitely see how if you are and you find yourself in a very dark time, watching something like this will make it a brighter day. So I can see how the comedy would cheer one up. And I'm so glad for you that you got so much enjoyment out of it and it uh, helped turn your your, your world around again. So uh, great stuff. And thank you so much for that wonderful email. So, dear listeners, if you want to be like the amazing Aaron and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness in Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, or at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review as this helps the show grow and allows us to continue to bring you the podcast that you deserve. So uh, Greg, when you're not here discussing crazy crossovers such as this one, where can folks find you on those ever vast interwebs?
1: First, let me give a hello and shout out to Aaron. I, I believe he wrote in on the Flash episode, the last one I was on. Was this Indeed the same Aaron? Did, yes. Well, hello. Very nice to run into you again via uh, email uh, into the show. Um, I'm going to agree with him. I wore out the Ninja Turtles movies and, of course, Batman, my favorite superhero. Very nice to hear from you again, Aaron. Okay, where you can find me. So I'll spell my last name. V as in Victor, O-R-O-B as in boy. Keith has been hearing that name being spelt his entire life, practically about 35 years. Um, So it is Greg Vorob on Facebook. You can find me there. Um, If if you send me a message that you've heard me on any podcast, even better. Um, If you are mutual friends with Nick and or Keith, you get an automatic approval. You don't have to send me a message. Um, On Twitter, find me at Greg underscore Vorob on YouTube. Find me at Greg Vorob. And in the, the terms of podcast, we're about to finish up our first season of uh, Star Trek, the Undiscovered podcast. If you are a Star Trek fan, please check us out and thank you everyone who has and have been giving us great feedback on that show in the Star Trek fandom community. Um, and uh, so by the time this airs, uh, you'll probably hear this before you hear our season finale, but we'll be giving you bonus shows here and there before we start our second season. Hey, check out MSV Podcast presents The Fake and the Whimsy. I will leave it at that. Um, And uh, yeah, that's pretty much me. And I'm looking forward to the next time I can join DJ Nick and Keith here on Happiness and Darkness podcast.
2: Well, it's always a joy to have you on for sure, Greg. And uh, Keith, where can folks find you?
0: Uh, When I'm not here, I'm always creeping around the interwebs on our, our Facebook page. I'm always up for a good discussion about who knows what. And when I'm not on our podcast, I am on a buddy of our podcast called The Hour of Comics is Upon Us. It's with our friend John Seymour and Jason Gurin. We talk about comic books specifically, uh, different subjects, different topics, different whatever's kind of strikes our fancies. Uh, this week we're doing, I believe it's the X-Men versus the Fantastic Four, that should be coming up soon, I think, uh, this week or next week, so that should be a fun listen, and we definitely take recommendations, so if somebody wants to hear our sort of half drunken sounded reviews of comic books or stories, definitely drop us a line and let us know.
2: Fantastic stuff. Well, folks, definitely be sure to check out Greg's amazing shows and the Keith's a new show for sure, because they're definitely worth your time indeed. When it comes to me, you can find me at my day job, hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play today's country, traditional country and everything else in between. for about that and where to tune in. You can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, if you're fans of those Best Picture-winning movies, myself and those lovely ladies who answer to the names of Rachel Friend and Zan Sprouse can be found on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we do review all the Best Picture winners in chronological order. We uh, just reviewed No Country for Old Men, the Coen brothers' best picture winning movie. And next week, we will be taking on Slumdog Millionaire, Danny Boyle's best picture winning movie, of course, of *Train Spotting* fame, amongst others. And last but certainly not least, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found currently on the Fandom Zone, where we wrapped up the last the or the most recent season of superman and lois luckily we're getting a new one and we're currently reviewing secret invasion the mcu's latest tv show starring of course samuel jackson and speaking of things to come on this show next time we'll be taking on the last so far movie of the crow franchise the 2005 lance munja film the crow wicked prayer So first off, Greg, thank you so much once again for joining us on behalf of myself and Keith. We always have a have a blast talking to you and look forward to having you back very soon. Thank you. Thank you, sir. And uh, Keith, anything else you'd like to add on either our next movie or anything else before we sign off?
0: No, I think, you know, like always, I'm always ready, willing and able to watch some crazy movie. And I'm looking forward to this one just as much as
2: all the others. I'm very curious about this one indeed because it does star a certain Edward Furlong from the Term- Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So I'm curious to see what Edward will bring when it comes to this particular movie. So that said, folks, we will see you next time with The Crow Wicked Prayer. Thank you as always for listening to the show and supporting us. Until then, stay super. Ciao, muppy boy.